Amen. First Samuel chapter 30, I'll read it here in the King James. It came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziglag on the third day, the third day. The Amalekites had invaded the south, and they also invaded Ziglag, smitten Ziglag, and burned it with fire. They took the women captive that were there. They didn't kill them, but either great or small carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, this hideaway place. Their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no power to weep. They cried until they couldn't cry anymore. David's two wives were taken captives also. It's, it's critical that you know he joined in the suffering. Anahom, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the, the deceased Nabal, of the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And for a moment I preach for the benefit of the body. He did not bring you this far. To leave you. Put your Bibles down behind you, whatever your notebooks, your iPads, your tablets, and lift up your voices unto your great God. Uh, oh! Yes. Jesus, come on one more time. We're going to clap as an offering and as a praise unto the Savior of of all the world. Thank you, and you may be seated. I speak of the scripture. If we see the Bible in context, in particular this word then we will know that David of course has long since left the lush confines of Saul's palace his harp which once calmed those tormenting spirits that afflicted the king has been set aside 
abandoned, as it were, to suffer the loss of its own purpose. King Saul, the man David served and loved, has fallen into what can only be described as a delusion, nurtured by bitterness and disobedience, some malfeasance that drives him to madness. Saul has become a bloodthirsty leader with hands full of retribution instead of mercy. The priest at Nob have all been killed. Their blood stains the ground, all because Saul thought that they were complicit in David's escape. Saul's ruthlessness has reached the pinnacle of all complicit vengeance. He is deranged in a way uncommon to even the most ardent tyrant. In the scope of the greater army, legion, squadrons of men, David has but a few followers. His years defeating the enemies of Israel left him with a good name, but those accolades have fallen short in his time of need. They have failed to garnish any help for him. Few will follow Saul has chased David in hopes of an execution. King Saul has commissioned assassins to do the same, but to no avail. David has shifted his location. He is but a nomad, running in hopes to avoid a conflict with God's anointed. Even though King Saul has lost his senses, he did not lose the anointed and appointed position bestowed upon him by God through the prophet Samuel. Sadly, many people do not understand that point. So when leaders fall or stumble, followers off time feel released to attack the leadership and the headship. David knew better. He ran from confrontation rather than to be found guilty of a God infraction. I wish you had ears to hear today. Saul is relentless in his pursuit. Nob's priests are laid sprawled in a senseless mess, unaware of any wrongdoing on their part. Ahimelech, the high priest, was the first to die by Doag and his band of vengeful men, and then all the rest of those unsuspecting righteous priests that serve the Lord. Ahimelech was guilty of nothing except giving David some bread and providing him with the sword of Goliath. That David now carries. He gave it blindly and with good intent. David has escaped and while he has no kingdom, he does have the promise of the throne. The people of Israel know it. They are aware of David's calling. It provokes a divided nation. (laughs) But most, the greatest majority of them, many of them, most of them will not leave their comfortable surroundings to follow David. Most of them will not forsake their lifestyle to join the giant slayer. They're not going to risk losing their money, their land, their houses, or their livelihood to join with him. The few that do follow David are a motley crew. I'll give you their description from the Bible. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented. Do you have it now? All those who are in debt, distressed, discontented, gathered round him, and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. 
In the coming weeks and months, David will pick up another 200 men. Almost all of them are the same. 600 in all. It's a paltry band. They pose no real threat to King Saul. All have been distressed by life. They are littered with shady histories, poor choices, impoverished by their own failings. They are debtors, the lot of them. Life has dealt them all a losing hand so that the best of them can be said that they were just discontented. Incredibly enough, that word in that particular scripture, discontented, comes from the same word we know as Mara, which means bitter. It was what they called the unsavory waters they met three days after the Red Sea. Bitter, Mara, discontented waters. The bitter waters of Mara engulfed them all around. But David received them. He gathered them. And though he is a king in hiding, to them he is still a king. Even though David is a wanted man, there's a promise attached to him. He is a warrior, warrior's warrior. He is a songwriter, a man of stature, and they all know it. They want to be close to him. They feel better just being connected to him. He receives them. He takes them in. Without David, they have no purpose. Even in the cave of Adullam, David held the prestige of a monarchy. And those 400 men... And then 600, all distressed and in debt and bitter, found refuge and courage, standing shoulder to shoulder with the man they called David. Are you still with me here? They had no significance without him. And they confessed it to be so. They had no hope or help without him. It compelled them to join him in Adullam. David's future was very bright. And by this time, the news of Samuel's anointing, his oil had covered that covered the head of David, has surely been told by many people. The years of waiting and learning, all of his victories overwhelmed them. The women of Israel once sang this song, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. People knew. People know where the anointing is. They know. And now those 400, 600 will couple themselves with this coming king and find faith in the future. His mere presence gave them self-worth. His name lifted their lowly status. They were attached to him, part of him, with him. They could now be called David's men. It meant something to them. If news of their unpaid debt reached them, they could send a word back and just say, Give me time, I'm with David, and someday I'll pay you back. If they remembered their past infractions, they could now finally set it aside and say, well, I, I used to be alone, and I, that's what I used to be, but I'm new. Now I'm with David. There's hope for me in the future. David was their leader, the captain, the Bible says, of their lives. The singer, songwriter, warrior, leader, and king. The most renowned name in all of the land. The Philistines feared him. Edom will shake at his coming. The armies of Moab will be laid to waste by him and Ammon also. Even that wicked king had a Hadadazar of Zobah bowed beneath the power of David's sword. The camps of the enemies shuddered at the mention of his coming and to think that those 400 beleaguered men are part of him now. A group of no-name dropouts. Society's flunkies. But now, he became their captain. He is their leader. He was their head. And he was their hope. In the context of the Bible's message and due to Saul's advancements, David and those men will live in the shadows. Their lives and children will do their best to camp outside of 
the deranged king's sight. David will make some measure of peace with former enemies just to survive. He will tread lightly throughout the countryside just to keep safe. And now finally we return to our text that I read to you. It's one of those moments when David and his men will leave their camp. Though it was but for a handful of days, some fighting will occur. They'll be commissioned. The Amalekites came, however, and ransacked everything, burned Ziglag. The Amalekites, that band of guerrilla terrorists, they took it all. The Amalekites, of whom God once told Saul to completely destroy, but he did not. And because of Saul's disobedience, they rose back up to pillage and murder the innocent. They were the perennial thorn in Israel's side. I need to pause long enough this morning to tell someone, don't make concessions with your walk with God. Your future cannot handle your lack of total commitment today. Tomorrow depends on today's obedience. Tomorrow's success depends on the right now commitment obedience. You can't handle what's going to come if you are disobedient. David and his men are gone just a few moments, a while, a few days. And when they return, there's nothing left. The Amalekites have stolen everything. All their possessions are gone. The few things that they had cobbled together are now gone But greater still, their families have been kidnapped, captured all of them. Women, children, sons and daughters, the infants, the loved ones, the older, the younger, all of their, the loves of their lives are gone. The smoldering fires is all that remains. Torn tents and scattered clothes marks the path left behind. And the grief, all the grief of them being gone, the sight of it all invoked an unspeakable fear of what the Amalekites might be doing to their families. An enemy has done this. An enemy should have been eradicated. That enemy that should have been wiped away if only obedience had been followed. They rose back up. They gathered themselves back up. And now they have decimated a small city and stolen and taken everything that belonged to David and his men. Those men, all of them now are at a loss. They were weary from the travel and the battle already, but now they are suddenly weary from following And that grand image of their leader, David, doesn't look so good now. It's a time of trouble. And they revert back to the lowest form of humanity. They blame David and what he represents. David is the king and his is the kingdom. And when there's trouble, they blame the king and the kingdom. He's the anointed of God. He was supposed to be their future. He's supposed to be the answer. But following him has led them to a greater loss than before. They thought... That following the king would guarantee them gain and security. Security. They never thought about loss or suffering. Can you hear me today? Losing your house is one thing. That's debt. But losing your family, there is no comparison to that. So they blame him. He's the cause. And they said, we joined this group because it was supposed to help us. We came here because we thought we could start over here. Our lives were in shambles. And this is the man who was supposed to give us purpose and vision. And now all we see are empty tents and the remnants of our family. All of them are gone. And they wept until they couldn't cry anymore. The power to cry left them. And then they started to talk of stoning David Right there on the spot. Oh, how the turn happens so fast. From admiration 
to condemnation, from following to fury, from loyalty to betrayal, from walking in to Jerusalem with palm leaves, and seven days later to rejoicing at the crucifixion. They followed him based on result. They gave David allegiance for their own sake. But the moment of truth has come and anger fills their minds, rocks and stones their hands. I don't know where David drew his strength from. It's a mystery to me even standing here where he learned the most valuable and enduring lesson of life. Maybe it was his years of defending the sheep of his father, all the while being ignored by his brothers. Perhaps he learned it in prayer or the days he spent with God writing songs. Maybe he called on God continually on battlefields far and wide. But David steps aside and gathers himself. And while the soul of all the people was grieved, the Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. He picked himself up. He also lost his family. He joined in their suffering and loss. His possessions were also stolen. He suffered the same as the men that he led, but they blamed him. So David just stood aside and he reminded himself of something that brought him strength. He talked to himself. David, listen to me. He said to himself, how many times has God brought you through? How many times has the Lord seen you through? The lion that you ripped apart with your own hands as a young teenage boy. That wasn't you. That was the power of God working through you to deliver you. Remember what you said, David? To qualify yourself before the king when you first came to the battle, you said the God that delivered me from the lion and the bear will also deliver the giant into my hand, that man from Gath. And you let loose of your leather sling. And then you found yourself standing over his motionless body. Remember that moment, David. The weight of the sword when you first picked it up. Pick it up again. Here it is. You got it in your hand. You got it from Nob. Ahimelech is dead, but he gave you the sword. Look at that sword. Look at the power of God in your life. There's a tangible manifestation, a witness. His provisions have never failed you, David. David encouraged himself. He talked to himself. Hear me, David. I want to talk to myself. His keeping power has never been missing. The Lord's hand has never been empty. His arm has never been short. Hebrews said it like this. The unchangeable priesthood, the immutable Savior is able to save to the uttermost, David. The oil from the horn of Samuel completely covered your head. He poured it out completely. The victory is all of them. God has anointed you and covered you. You are the king in waiting. The throne is yet to come. You are not going to end here. This is not the end of your story. God's power is still with you. David encouraged himself in the Lord. God did not bring you this far, David, to leave you. So I wish somebody would do that in this house. Nobody knows your story like you know it. Nobody knows where God's brought you from like you know it. So you ought to just sing yourself the old song. You don't know like I know what he's done for me. 
And the writer said, I get joy when I think about, I get joy when I think about what he's done for me. I can't tell your story, but you can tell it. I can't tell you where you've come from, but you know the depth of despair. I don't know the lonely nights and the suffering and the loss, but God knows that you know. And I can just imagine David saying to himself and those men who now wish to do you harm, they have no idea. They didn't see what you've seen. They weren't there when you looked down to see the severed head of the giant. A single stone and in the name of the Lord, a stone guided by skill but also by the presence, capital P. Your destiny is beyond this place. Jerusalem is yours. You cannot give up now. Just encourage yourself. David talked to himself and the Bible says the next thing he did was he talked to God. I hope you can get the progression. He talked to himself and then he talked to God. So I say to you, get up and look up. Get up, then look up. When David finished with his single self-group session, he called for the ephod, that's the Bible. He put something on that connected him to the place of worship and sacrifice. Because sometimes you just got to put on praise. Listen, don't wait for the song to get right. You just come in and say, no, I'm going to put something on right now. I got to get connected to God. I'm going to put on praise. You just put it on. You don't have to have an invitation from me. This is a house of worship and praise. You got to put it on. You got to get connected to God. Get up and look up. Your connection to the Lord is what you put on. I'm going to put on praise. I'm going to take it off. I'm going to put something on. It's the garment of praise I got to put on. He put it on and he said, and I quote, bring me the ephod. Then David asked God, shall I go forward? And God said, pursue. Let me, let me read it to you. And David, do you have it? Are you ready? There you go. Inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue it for this troop? Shall I overtake them? And God answered, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail. Here's the word of the Lord Recover. I'm on a commission from God. I'm commissioned. That's the word of the Lord. He wants to send to someone in this house. Pursue. Go forward. Do it with all your heart. Your story is not over. The enemy has not won the battle because God won't let him win the battle. What was lost is recoverable. All of it. Both great and small. What was taken is a praise and your pursuit away. Get up and look up. You're not out. Yes, there is trouble. But you're not out and you're not done. Get up and look up. Put on praise right now. Talk to yourself and say, Self. God's already brought you this far. He's not going to leave you here. He didn't take you this place to leave you and drop you off helpless and alone. And then look up and shout with a voice of great triumph. Here's Paul. 2 Corinthians. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. I just got to pause right there. 
Those 400 men were distressed, the Bible says, when David found them. But David's image, the image of his person, his name took away their distress. You see, trouble will come to your life, ladies and gentlemen. But be of good cheer, Jesus said, he has overcome the world. And to be sure, your days will be filled with trouble as long as you live. You'll get out of one problem and walk into another problem. You'll close the door on one issue, situation, and the next door is, is Bob Barker is inviting you down to pick a door. Every door is a problem. If you don't pick the door and you say, I'll take the envelope, there's something in the envelope too you don't want. But there is something greater than your trouble. His peace is greater than your quandary. He didn't leave you. God didn't leave you. He didn't bring you all this way just to leave you. And Peter knew it because Peter took the course and he failed it so many times until he passed it. He finally got to write the scripture. First Peter 4.12 Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. What? Do you think that your baptism in the spirit removed you from life's trouble? What? Who told you that being faithful to church is going to solve all your problems? You won't hear that fable in this pulpit. That's the vain message of the prosperity profiteers. I'm going to tell you there will be trouble, but we don't have to be distressed. Get up. God didn't leave you. The anointing of the Holy Ghost did not depart from you in time of your suffering and your loss. God is still with you. Hey. You ought to know that the Lord is not going to leave you. You ought to know that the Lord is not going to... He's not running away from you now. I'm almost there. I promise to preach one sermon at a time. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll preach as many sermons as you use the restroom while I'm preaching. Ha! It's just a private joke. Uh-huh. Listen, here's what the Bible says. David was anointed and then sent back to the field. Here's the scripture. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. However, what what the next verse is that he went back to the field. He went back to the sheep. If truth be told, David was anointed one time. He was not anointed once. He was anointed three times. This was the first in front of his brothers, and then went back to the field. The second anointing was to be the king over Judah. That's 2 Samuel 2 and 4. The third anointing was to be the king over Israel, or the unified country. That's 2 Samuel 5 and 3. You can look it up when you get home. But when he was first anointed, he was sent back to the field. The first anointing was not the conclusion of his anointing. It was the beginning of his anointing. And I believe that God gives us insight, authority, hear me, to the extent of our understanding and to the extent of our obedience. But there's more to come. Work where you are. You're not going to tap out the anointing. The oil of the Lord won't run dry. David proved himself in the field of sheep, which led him to the field of war. And he proved himself in the field of war, which led him to Hebron, the field of men. And Hebron led him to the field of Jerusalem, or the country of Jerusalem, or the city of Jerusalem. Let me just say this, the throne of Jerusalem to be the field over the, the man over the nation. But we often think that it's over when we feel God's touch and we see no progression. Loneliness sets in. But loneliness does not mean what you think it means. Loneliness. 
can damage your mind and then trouble comes and we're wondering where the anointing went. But Paul wrote, we're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Can I get a witness? Is there one honest soul in this house? We are perplexed. If you haven't been invited to the group of perplexed people, welcome. Thanks for joining us. We meet several times a week for group discussion at the altar. Many of us are perplexed. We meet on a regular basis to discuss our perplexities. Gather around, everyone. You're in good company if you are perplexed. David put it like this. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They don't have any struggle. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from the burdens common to man, to me. They're not plagued by human ills. I'm perplexed. How can people get away with things so unholy and unlawful and still proclaim to be part of the righteous? I want to know. They wear their pride, the Bible says, like a necklace. Read it. They have violent tongues and calloused hearts. They are conceited in their own minds with no limitations. That's verse 7. Verse 9. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. People turn to them, the Bible says, drink up their waters in abundance, which means that people gather around them to hear what they have to say. They lap it up like precious wisdom when really it's stagnant and spoiled. Yes, David was perplexed, just like you and me, perplexed. How can we be farther behind when we thought we were making such good prog- progress? How can we keep giving and it looks like we have less than when we started? How can it be perplexities? David went on to say that we are persecuted. That's the cave at Adullam and Saul's assault on David's life. But David was not forsaken. God's plan was still at play. Hear me. God's anointing was never in jeopardy. Caves have no power over the anointed. But you have to get up and stand up and look up and stretch up. Because this is his kingdom. See, broken in his kingdom does not mean ruined. That's the way of our master. He loves to use the broken, the fragmented people. Perhaps those are the ones better suited for his kingdom. That's what happened when he concluded feeding the 5,000 men and many women and children. The incarnate God said it like this to his disciples. Gather up the fragments that nothing be lost. He would have all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He's into saving. He's into restoring. That was his self-fulfilling prophecy. Healing the brokenhearted. Deliverance to the captives. Recovering to the sight, to the blood. And here he is in this house today to give direction. It might be more than this, but I'll just start with this one word. The first word, pursue. And you will recover everything. Let me read it. Verse 18. And David recovered all. That the Amalekites had carried away. He rescued his two wives. And there was nothing lacking to them. Neither small nor great. Neither sons nor daughters. Neither spoil. Nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. I need you to be 
uh, open and verbal with me now. Tell me when. Somebody tell me when. Let your conversation without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, somebody tell me when. I will never leave thee nor for... When? So that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Someone tell me when. When when is he going to leave you? Tell me, when did he leave you? When did he forsake you? (laughs) David said, I was young and now I'm old. But I've never seen a righteous forsaken nor a seed begging for bread. I've gone through low times and shallow times and weak times and times of loss. But I've never been in a place where God ever forsook me. I've wondered what was happening to me. I had perplexities and I had some doubts. But I knew that the Lord was on my side. I have a little message for somebody. You got to get up and you got to look up. You got to pursue because the Lord didn't leave you. How much more does God need to do for you for you to know God's been with you even when you did not see him? He's been beside you even when you cannot feel him. He's been helping you even when you didn't have any help. I wish I had somebody to help me today and say, God is not going to leave me. And he didn't bring me this far to leave me. Hey, talk to yourself right now and say, self, call your own name out. Jeffrey, the Lord didn't bring you this far to leave you. He didn't bring you this far just to drop you and abandon you. He didn't do it. I'll tell you why. Say it to yourself now. Call out your own name and say it. He didn't leave you this far. He didn't bring you this far to leave you. Come on now. He didn't bring you this far to leave you. Wait. Did you have to know what was going on to have confidence in the Lord? He's not going to tell you everything. He knows what's going on. Isn't that good enough that God knows what's going on? He knows what's happening. He's got a great view. Jeremiah 29, 11. He's got a great view. Come, come on, help me now. Jeremiah 29, 11. <laughs> For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you, here's my thought for you. I got a place where I want to bring you. I've got an expectation. I'm going to bring you somewhere. You may not know what's happening. You may not understand what's happening. And you might be perplexed, but you are not in despair. You may be cast down, but you are not destroyed. You might have some issues here and there. You might have great issues and great loss. But the Lord knows where you're at when you're in the cave. And he knows when you're at when nobody's with you. Because the Lord is my helper. He's my ever-present help in trouble. He is my refuge. He's my high tower. He's my help in the time of trouble. He's my bright and morning star in the dark and the midnight hour. And he didn't bring me this far to leave me. Hey, get up, get up, get up, get up.
get up, get up, and look up, and put on a little praise. Have you ever been there when you try to do good and you got back to your place while you were doing good? Everything was taken that you loved. Everything that you hoped for was gone. And the people around you, they start ridiculing you and say, well, you ought not been following that guy. You ought not been going to that church. You ought to just give up on God. Job, why don't you just curse God and die? And Job opened up his mouth and said, naked I came into the world and naked I'll leave. But my mouth is going to bless his name. You might be sick and tomorrow you might still have that sickness. You may be perplexed and tomorrow you'll be perplexed all the same. Your ultimate help is never going to come here anyway. He went to prepare a mansion for you. He's doing some construction so that where you, he is, you may be also. But while you're here, you got to pursue. And when you feel low, come on, I, I hope somebody can feel it. I got to get off by myself. And I got to say, oh, Jeffrey, do you remember when the Lord spoke a word of prophecy in your mouth and it came to pass? And do you remember when you didn't know where to go, but the Lord opened up the door and somebody tried to shut it, but because God opened it up, it could not be shut by mortal man. Do you remember when you felt bad and you had complexes and you think that nobody cared, but the Lord came along and he put great men and great women in your life and they said, oh no, there's a whole bunch of people that love you. Do you remember when you were young and you were struggling for your life, but the Lord lifted you up and said, I got a call on you. And when I get done encouraging myself and I know I've got a little bit of strength left, what is going to happen? I'm going to affect the people that are low and are down. And when I finally get back up, I don't know how long it's going to take for you to get back up. Don't get discouraged. Just keep working on it, encouraging yourself every day, every day, every day. But when you finally get back up, then start looking up. And you get the ephod or whatever you've got and you put it on I've come to praise him I've come to praise him so 
I'm going to tell you what. When you get a little done with everything and you lose yourself a little bit, you won't care what other people think. See, if you still care what people think, you ain't got low enough. And you haven't been down low enough. I, I stopped caring about what people think when I worship. I got to praise him because my connection to God comes in my praise. I'm putting on the garment of praise. You can have the spirit of heaviness if you want. But I come here with my garment of praise. I've come here magnifying God because I know I got to look up. Come on. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I'm not going to fear what man can do to me. Get up. Come on, get up. Get up. I know you're standing up, but that's not what I mean. Get up. Get up. Come on, get up. Get up. You can do it. Get up. God didn't leave you. When is he going to leave you? Never. When he's going to forsake you? Never. When he's going to abandon you? Never. When he's going to give up on you? Never. When he's going to ignore you? Never. When is he going to stop answering your prayers? Never. When he's going to stop being your friend? Never. He's got a plan for me and he's going to work it all out. He's going to give me an expected end. Come on, put your garment on right now from the front to the back. Put it on right now. You don't know like I know. You don't know like I know. Oh, you don't know like I know. When I think of what he's done for me, you don't know like I know. You don't know like I know. Pause now, pause. Come here, Brother Jason. How far can I go publicly? Okay, thank you. Okay. Come here, man. Come, come up here. Don't come all the way up. I like to be taller. Shorty here, watch us. So, I'm at the gym working out and Tammy says let's join together 
So she started working out. We got on the treadmill, but I beat her every time. And then we said, this guy comes around with a little piece of paper. I didn't know, but he had already met some of the church people. He said, I'm a professional trainer. For a little bit of money, I'll train both of you. He used to be a professional trainer. <laughs> Listen, man, I'm not pointing anything out here, man. I, don't, I ain't pointing anything out. I'm not, I'm not pointing nothing out. Have you seen Ryan Wallace lately? <laughs> like a toothpick. Uh, something happened. <laughs> Roast beef. And me and Tammy, we started to train with him. It was a great because... One one day we we got to put the boxing gloves on. One of us got the little mitts, and the other got to punch boxing bag. We we were just paying to hit each other, working out with you. We start talking to him about church. One day after workout, I said, "Why don't you go with me to Java Hot?" He said, "Okay." He came over. I said, "What took you so long?" He said, I'm embarrassed to tell you, but I was drinking and a year or so ago and they let me keep my license, keep my job, but I have to, they put a little thing on my car before I start my car. I have to breathe. It's a breathalyzer type thing and I have to breathe and if, it's, if, I'm out, if I have any alcohol, it won't let my car start. I'm embarrassed about that. I said, well, the Lord can heal you. He don't know anything about nothing. He said, well, I got a lot of trouble. He said, I, I got a son, and I'd like to have my son back. And, and uh, his mother, it, it's tough. It's tough for me, and I don't know about God, and I don't know where God is. And I said, well, I'm going to pray for you. I prayed for you. And I said, where are you going? He said, well, he said, I don't, I don't want to tell you. So he said, I said, well, tell me. I'm your friend because I will punch you next time in. <laughs> you know I was a joke. He smashed me like a bug. And he said, well, I'm going to go give blood. I can get... I think up to $30 if I give blood. I said, you are not going to give blood. Come over to the station. I'm going to fill your car up. He said, will you do that for me? I said, yeah. Just a guy of no direction, zero. He has nothing. He he's has more loss and more junk and more trial. And he has nobody. And he has a son he can barely see. Now, you're not going to see him like that today because he didn't know his story. But he came in. I had already taught him a Bible study, and the day that he came in, he said to himself, I am not getting baptized. <laughs> Josh Herring was here and said, somebody just came in and said, you, said, you told yourself you're not getting baptized, but you're going to get baptized. And Josh Herring started reading his mail while he was preaching. The young evangelist was reading his mail he's preaching. And that day, I buried him in the name of Jesus. Hear me. But you don't know. Listen, I'm scratching the surface. All I have is a witness here that the Lord gave him a beautiful wife and gave him a beautiful son and gave him more sons and gave a beautiful home and gave him a ministry and gave him a church and gave him a name. He was distressed. He was in debt. He was struggling. But the Lord lifted him up and he's recovered everything that he lost and God did a work. So I say to you, look up, get up, get up, get up and put on your garment of praise. Hey, I'm a, I'm a
Just do whatever you want to. I got to do something here. Just, just worship any way you want to worship. Anybody have loss in this house? Anybody lose anything of value? I'm not talking about a stock and bond. I'm not talking about a, I'm talking about great loss. If you have great loss, come on, lift your hands. All those who have great loss. Okay. Oh God, we commit the loss into your hands. We're perplexed. But you are here. <laughs> and now Lord, we want to just say to you we give you glory and we give you praise and we give you honor and in spite of our perplexities Lord which we cannot see right now because we're looking through a glass darkly we know someday face to face we're going to see you as you are we're going to know you and be known we're going to know how it went and why it went that way and just today we want to pause and say you are a great God and we give you praise and we want to say to you Lord while we don't understand everything our trust is never going to waver and our doubt is not going to creep up and overtake us we're not going to drink the bitter waters of Mara and we will not live in distress. We might be perplexed, but we not argue, we will not be distressed. There'll be no discontented waters in our life. Just while Brother Lyle plays, I just want you to dance a little bit with me. If you don't know how to do that, just march in place, just jump in place. We're going to praise a little bit with our feet and with our bodies. You are a great God. You are a great God. You are a holy God. Yay. Yay. Yay.
all put your hands together. You don't have to understand everything to clap. Come on, everybody. how this was going to go today so I wore my suit best affiliated with the Corleones I just want to tell you right now you're not going to solve it all but you can praise your way through it all My Italian grandfather, Stastuch Farino, used to say, What's better than pasta? Grandma Annie Farino, Annie Costo Giovanni Farino, to be exact, made the best pasta. And we didn't know what to answer because it was the best. And my grandfather would take the big pot and scoop it up. What's better than pasta? And he would put more. He'd say, more pasta. I don't even have to make the analogy. You got it. Did you get it? Did you get it now? Wait. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. And you got to have more joy because I know you need more strength. Come on now. Group perplexities. All the group perplexed people, raise your hand. I'm perplexed. But you're not distressed. I'm perplexed, but I'm not distressed. I've been cast down by the foster, but I'm not destroyed. I've been torn up a little bit, but I'm not defeated. I've been persecuted, but I'm not cast aside. All right, I'm done. You got the point. Get up, get up, get up. Get up in your language, in your talk, in your mindset, in your mouth. Get up in your conversation. Get up in all your posts and all your texts. Get up. The Lord is on your side. He didn't leave you. Get up. Get up. And now look up. In Jesus' name I pray for all the people. You're not minimizing what we've gone through, Lord, but, but you said you'd be our, our present help in trouble. So I give you praise and glory for today. I thank you now. You've brought us all this way. You're not going to abandon us, Lord. Your word is true. It's forever settled in heaven. You're not going to leave us now. Hear us. We're the children of your pastor. We're sheep. Don't leave us now, Lord. 
Help us to feel you. Late in the midnight hour, help us to feel you. We gotta have your strength. Cover us, O Prince of Peace, and give restoration and remove the discontented waters and let us drink the sweet savor. I give you praise and glory and everyone said in Jesus' name, ah, I love you. God bless you. Love one another.